Hello, TTB community, and welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint Podcast. Each week, we like to bring you insight from travel authors, adventurers, conservationists, digital nomads, tour guides, and some of our very own personal travel experiences. This week, joining me today is the incredibly valiant Elliot Chibley. Ooh, thank you. You're welcome. Is that is that what I think it is? Like, courageous? Like, night? Yeah, I, I, I was going with more of adventurous. Adventurous. Okay. Yeah, but courageous, adventurous... They're all sort of synonyms, right? Yeah, in some I, way. I appreciate that that uh, adjective. That's a good one. Thank you. You're welcome. Today's guest is Valerie Russell. She is the founder and CEO of Do South Travels. The goal of Do South Travels is to expand our knowledge and horizon with and through custom guided tours throughout Guatemala. And today we talk all about Guatemala. Um, we talk about language, we talk about the things to do, we talk about her experience in Guatemala and the things that Do South offers. It is a fantastic conversation. Learned a lot about Guatemala, which I didn't already, like, I didn't know too much about Guatemala. I'm not, I don't know about you. No, I did not, know. But it was, it was very enjoyable, and I think you guys will find it enjoyable as well. Travel tip is use a VPN to maintain access to your favorite websites. So depending on what country you're going to, even if it's in Europe, some sites will be blocked. And there are, I'm not super familiar with VPNs, but there's a lot of tutorials out there. There are some, there are some that are very affordable and it basically allows you to access them if you're spending some time over there and you want access to them, either for work or other business or just to stay in touch with friends and family or even just watch movies. Some of those sites are blocked. Lastly, please consider the, some of the awesome travel products that we offer. How do you organize and plan your trip? So if you like to keep your trip organized like we do, you can use the travel journal and planner that we developed for our very own personal travel experiences. This will allow you to record things like the dates, the budget, the top destinations, the currency exchange rate, the time difference. It has a fillable calendar and it provides you the ability to write out your entire itinerary by the hour. In addition to that, it has a place to store reservation information, a packing list, a to-do list. And then at the very back, it offers you space to journal about your trip. You can find this travel journal planner on our products page, and once you download it, you have it forever, and you can reprint and refill it out for every trip you have moving forward. Now, if you do decide to purchase this, we encourage you to reach out to us with any tips to make it better. To help compile all of your info for the journal slash planner, we turned ourselves into cartoons to create a five-part video course that provides a step-by-step -step process to create the ultimate itinerary, including number one, navigation, number two, booking airfare, number three, blogs, research, and reviews, number four, itinerary building, and number five, safety, cultural norms, and thoughtful travel. The goal of this video tutorial is so that you can become your own personal travel agent and learn how to be plan efficient trips now and forever, all the while saving you money to splurge on a nice meal or first class seat for your next adventure. Yeah. And now, so if you still think that planning your trip is a little bit too much, or you just don't have time to sit down and actually do it, I can personally plan your trip for you using all the information that we just mentioned. If you're interested in this, please send me an email at thetravelersblueprint at gmail.com or visit our service pages on our website, and we can meet over Zoom to discuss the details of your trip. You want to contribute to the podcast? If you work in the travel industry, you can join us for a travel around table discussion by submitting your information through the TAT form on our website. You can also send us a travel article via direct message or at thetravelersblueprint at gmail.com for the monthly Travel Bites episode. Support us by wearing us. Go to redbubble.com to find awesome gear and merchandise of the Traveler's Blueprint. Some of the cost comes directly to us to help support the podcast. We definitely recommend the hoodie and the hat and maybe a sticker or a travel mug. Whether you purchase a product from us or just want to learn about travel alongside us as we interview our guests, know that we greatly value your support as a listener of the show. Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. Valerie, welcome to the Travelers Blueprint Podcast. Thank you, guys. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, we're looking forward to our conversation. So you're the CEO and founder of Do South Travels, and you started this a little while ago, but uh, I won't say too much of how you got into it and your backstory, but in all, we're going to talk about mostly Guatemala and some of Central America, maybe a little bit of South America. And I guess for now, just talk to us a little bit about how you got into Do South Travels and what brought you to Guatemala. Well, tra 
traveling has always been a passion of mine. And I started independent traveling maybe around 19 or 20 is the first time I took a trip on my own. Um, I had been working in law enforcement for about 10 years in New York. I have a master's in forensic anthropology. Um, and really I just decided, I, I just really wasn't happy. I wasn't having a great time in my job. Um, and I said, you know, I was in my early thirties at this point. I was like, what do I really want to do? What am I going to regret if I died today? And I was like, I really want to live abroad again. You know, I did my master's degree abroad over in England and I just wanted to get out there and I wanted to make travel more of like an integral part of my life, but I don't have the skills to have a remote job and travel all over the world and get paid for it. So I said, well, let me pick a place where I can base myself. And the wheels started turning and I started thinking, what can I do um, and where can I do it? So I really didn't want to be too far from home. You know, when I lived in Europe, uh, this was right before texting was huge. I mean, it was back in 2005, 2006, and it was kind of hard to keep in touch. You know, the time change and the distance and flights were expensive. I traveled all through South America and it was amazing, but also quite far. You know, I love mm -hmm. Argentina, but Buenos Aires, a flight from Buenos Aires to New York is 10 hours or so. So I started focusing on Central America and I actually did a lot of research with regards to the um, local government statistics that they put out um, for tourism numbers and stuff. I talked to a lot of my friends that had been down and through here. I had only previously been to Costa Rica and Honduras. Um, so I started doing some research seeing where can I go where I can be successful, I can own a business, I could potentially own property. Um, and Guatemala popped up on the radar. So I started talking to a bunch of my friends I'd met while traveling and they were like, Val, you will love it. Guatemala is beautiful. It still has this amazing living Mayan culture that you see everywhere. There's so many things to do and tourism is on the upswing. That was something that was important for me because for me as a foreigner to just land in a Central American country and assume I can start a business and be successful, uh, I didn't want to take that risk just anywhere. You know, I mean, tourism is so fully developed in Costa Rica. I immediately had to cross that off my list. I couldn't okay. compete there. Um, in Belize, well, to be honest, I wanted to be in a Spanish speaking country. And I didn't want to be in a hot tropical island location. So I crossed off Belize, um, you know, and so I went down the list like this and I finally came out and said, okay, Guatemala or Nicaragua. And, you know, I was doing my research and I came to Guatemala. I sold everything. I said, if it doesn't work out, it will be okay. I can go home and get a job somewhere else if I have to. Um, but I came here and my first six months, I just traveled and I went through work away. So I stayed for one month in each of the major tourist locations and like worked in a hostel, you know, just to get to know the people, to practice my Spanish, to really understand um, the network of the travel agencies that would go around. And it was a great learning experience for me. And I have to say it was such a valuable time also because I've made connections in all those different cities in Guatemala, all those tourist hubs in Guatemala. So now when I have clients that are traveling from one place to another, if they have any sort of emergency, I can call someone in those places, even if it's really far away to go and help my clients, which is important for me. You know, I know that Guatemala doesn't have the best reputation on an international platform. You know, we tend to hear things in the news in the United States that aren't necessarily positive about Guatemala. The feedback I get from clients, I told my family I was going to Guatemala and they thought I would die immediately when I got off the plane. Yep. You know, and it's quite, um, it's quite disheartening to hear that. But my goal is that when they go home and they arrive home happy and healthy and safe, that they tell their families how amazing it was here. So I like to give each of my customers, you know, personal service. Everyone has my WhatsApp number. My phone doesn't stop ringing. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite different from working a nine to five. Um, but, it, but I really have no regrets about it. And I hope that, um, you know, people who come here really just leave with this feeling of happiness and awe. How long have you been in Guatemala now? It'll be five years in July. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, we had a, an early episode in the podcast of someone who had basically done the same thing she had 
move down, but th- this was to Nicaragua. I think it was San Rafael del Sur. So it was on the western coast of Nicaragua. Uh-huh. And she absolutely, absolutely loved it. Great expat community. And it seems like Guatemala is very, very similar. Um, now, before you ended up going to Guatemala, did you have any kind of Spanish speaking experience or did you mostly learn while you were there? I was a very diligent student growing up. Um, We were offered either Spanish or French in middle school and high school. And so I studied Spanish from seventh grade through my first year of college. And I subsequently forgot all of it because I didn't really use it, you know? So I never really put it into practice. Uh, And my Spanish teachers were mainly from Spain, which is a very different Spanish. Um, So when I came down here, I you know, intended to practice as much as I could. Of course, working in tourism, you're meeting so many English speakers. Um, So I did during the pandemic, I made some time and I took formal classes again. There's a lot of idioms and expressions that are unique to Guatemala. Yeah. And um, I'm also a very visual learner. So for me, just to sit down in a room with people and spend time talking, not the best way for me. So I really need to like see the material and read and write it. Yeah. How long do you think, cause so you had spent about three years in Guatemala before the pandemic hit. And then mm-hmm. with the, with actually spending more time during the pandemic to learn, how much time do you think you actually spent trying to learn the language and how quickly do you feel like you picked it up? Cause it's something that I've always been interested in and everyone that is an expat or has lived in a different country that speaks a different language they always talk about learning the language, but never about the actual act of doing it. Right. So it's very important. And I tell people this all the time that you understand what sort of a learner you are. I need to have visual materials. Other people learn just by listening and practicing. Uh, So that's number one. The second thing, we have a high concentration of Spanish schools here that offer classes that great prices. So people tend to come and they plan to be here for like a month. What they'll do is they'll sign up before they get here to take maybe four hours of group classes in the morning and two hours of individual classes in the afternoons. But I will tell you, even though I have been speaking Spanish for a number of years, your brain gets so tired. So people need to perhaps lower their expectations. You know, they feel like, oh, I'm not getting it. And they, they tend to be a little hard on themselves. Okay. Learning languages isn't something that comes naturally for people. Um, It takes a lot of practice and you really have to have the intention, but you also have to give yourself a little bit of grace because it's not something that's easy. Um, And I would also really suggest to people because a lot, I have a lot of clients that come, they study Spanish, they have all of these classes set up, but then they want to travel on the weekends. And so the schedule of the shared tourist shuttles and these things doesn't quite allow for the best use of their time on the weekends. So what I would say is just plan maybe four days of Spanish and cut down the hours a little bit because your brain gets so tired. You, you know, you feel physically and mentally tired after studying a different language for that many hours each day. So, you know, sometimes those last two hours of the day with the individual classes aren't as, um, fruitful as they could be just because you're so fatigued. Do you think your foundation from high school and college helped you relearn it? Definitely. Yeah. Um, you know, having formal study, but also I have a great memory. So, you know, I did remember a lot of the vocabulary. I did remember a lot of the rules, um, for grammar, verb tenses, stuff like that, but I really needed to have those classes that I took during the pandemic. Um, I just took two hours a week with a local teacher online, um, but it was something super important for me to get back into, to practice again. A lot of my verb tenses, yeah, I was just butchering, so <laughs> butchering stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it was really helpful. Another thing that's really helpful, you know, when I speak with um, people here who are speaking English as a second language, no matter what country they're from, I don't really notice their mistakes. I just understand what they're trying to tell me. And so I don't notice. Um, And I think that's important for anyone who's speaking a second language. We tend to be kind of shy or self-conscious about it. We don't want to make mistakes. You just got to put that to the side. No one is going to mock you. No one is going to criticize you. Just put it to the side and do your best and practice. And that effort is something that um, you should really congratulate yourself on. Yeah, those perfectionists out there listening are like, but I have to have it right. 
So I, I think the, the one thing that I want to mention is that a lot of our listeners are um, either of college age or older, so they don't necessarily have that benefit of going back to high school and getting that foundation. But mm-hmm. if you're of, you know, if you have young kids, know that having that foundation is really helpful. I know for me in, we ended up starting, my school started offering Spanish in second grade. So I ended up taking Spanish from second grade all the way through my senior year. And then I ended up taking one year of it in uh, college. And it helped me so much because I've been to, I was in Costa Rica for a little bit during college, but then Bob and I went to Peru and I ended up remembering a lot of it. And it was so nice to just have that experience previously not necessarily have practiced it, but knowing that I could still convey my message, even if it was completely butchered. Absolutely. And, you know, in the United States, we're so multicultural. Um, You know, my niece and nephew speak Spanish because their father is from the Dominican Republic. And well, their Spanish is so different. Mm -hmm. I'm like, you're, you're so Dominican right now. (laughs) (laughs) um, Also, you know, I was working in law enforcement and working for the government, you know, you, you sometimes are given, um, like a better spot in line for the civil service test. If you can show that you have a second language ability. Um, also being in law enforcement, you are encountering people from all different cultures and all different backgrounds, you know? And so even if you don't have professional fluent level Spanish, it's still super helpful to be able to talk to people. And, um, that is true for so many different career paths. That's awesome advice. Yeah. So I want to I want to make the transition here and get more into the the culture of Guatemala and I guess essentially yeah. the reasons that you've ultimately decided to go with this country. Can you, in any order uh, and with any information you want to offer, tell us a little bit about the people, the food, the the family structure, essentially what makes Guatemala great? All right. So. Um, You know, political correctness is something that is at the forefront of our minds, especially with, you know, recent history in the past few years. So we talk about Guatemala and the modern Guatemala that you see has such a heavy influence from the Spanish invasion that happened about 500 years ago. But I think the most important thing for us to talk about with regards to Guatemala is the um, indigenous culture of the ethnic Mayans. They uh, are the culture that we see from the Mayans is so present in Guatemala. I mean, you still see people wearing traditional clothing and the way of life is still quite simple and organic and just beautiful. Um, We have strong Mayan spirituality here. And something that I really like to ingrain in all of my clients is that this is the real Guatemala. This is what you need to know about. Okay. We do embrace the things that are of the Spanish influence, such as some of the history and the architecture and things like that. But this living Mayan culture is so fantastic and beautiful. And that's what makes Guatemala unique because you don't often see that in other Central American countries. Um, Another thing that I really appreciate about Guatemala is the, the diverse geography because we do have that tropical weather at the coast. We have the highlands here. So where I live in Antigua, we're about a mile up. And because of that, we have cool weather. Um, And we also have these dense jungle forests up to the Northeast of Guatemala, you know, so we have quite a variety. Um, And that is seen and reflected in the way that the Mayan people live also in terms of their dress, in terms of the agricultural products that they work to produce so hard every day. Um, so there's such a great variety of things to see and experience here. Um, another thing to keep in mind is that we have very strong uh, religious background, conservative religious values and family values also. So we tend to have um, a much more traditional family structure here where the man of the home will leave and potentially go work in agricultural work or something. And the women tend to stay home and care for the children and cook and do the cleaning. Of course, this is not this is not a broad statement covering all of Guatemala, but this is just a generalization. So it may not be completely um, politically correct to say this because we do have very modern culture here mm-hmm. too. Um, but that's important to note because um, we try to keep those family structures intact here. 
doesn't always work, but also oftentimes we have um, young girls that are pulled out of school a bit earlier and they're tasked to help mom at home cooking, cleaning, caring for the younger siblings. Um, if a young girl gets school beyond the age of 10 or so, she's considered pretty lucky in those lower socioeconomic wow. households because it does cost money to send your kids to school, even in public school where it's free. Um, and it can be a burden on the family, a financial burden. We have a 65% poverty rate here. Um, and little boys, if they come from a lower socioeconomic status household, perhaps they'll be given school until the age of 12 or 14 or so. Okay. So it's something that, um, you know, I like to educate my clients on because no, life is not all rosy here. I'm not here to paint this picture of Guatemala being the most beautiful, easiest place to live or to travel. You will see the poverty here. You will see what real life is like here. There's going to be some things that aren't rosy. You're going to take a picture and say, oh, I can just see the hardship in here. But we want to give, you know, visitors a real understanding of the culture. That's, you know, part of my goal here. It's not just to say, look at the beautiful architecture and the beautiful this. No, because we we have to be real and show the hardship too, just so you understand um, what life is like and why people feel the way that they do. But I will say um, Guatemalans are warm and happy and welcoming and they're just some of the greatest people you'll ever meet. You know, you ask somebody a question, they will help you find the answer. Oh, where can I find this store? And they will walk with you to find it. You know, it's not something that oh, you find nice. in every culture, but they're just yeah. so warm. And um, it means so much to me when, you know, I can celebrate with my Guatemalan friends and their families and stuff that they just welcome me into their homes. It's really a special, a special thing for me. Hmm. So one of the things that I'm curious about, and maybe we may not talk about it too much, but the what is what is the relationship to Belize with Guatemala? Oh, well, this is really funny. So way back when, the land of Belize actually belonged to Guatemala. Yeah. And I believe it was Britain came and said, hey, if we can sort of lease this land from you because they wanted to harvest the tropical hardwoods, we will install some infrastructure in the country. And what I mean by that is they said, okay, we'll develop a sort of system of highways and this and that. Um, I mean, this we're talking maybe two, 300 years ago. So, because as you know, Belize, um, their language is English. Their official language is English now. Okay. So Guatemala says, okay, yeah, sounds like a good deal. We'll lend you this land. Well, Guatemala never got the land back. And, you know, Belize is recognized as its own independent country yeah. now. And it's so funny because still modern day Guatemala, we have this little like addendum that goes up for a vote that Guatemalans vote on. Do you want the land of Belize back? Well, of course, every Guatemalan says, yes, we want it back. <laughs> This isn't even something you can negotiate. We're not just going to go over there and knock and say, oh, it's time for us to have the land back, right? Yeah. Um, so occasionally there are like little little sort of turf wars on the border. It's nothing that like a, a traveler really needs to be worried yeah. about, but it's just one of those historical things that's kind of funny. There's no way Guatemala can get this land back. You know, the United Nations recognizes Belize and it dates back hundreds of years. Oh, that's um, so interesting. But what people don't realize is that there's a lot of similarities between Belize and Guatemala, but also a lot of differences. So you can cross into Belize and they speak English there. Um, you know, a lot of people go into Belize to visit all of the beautiful islands, the keys, but there's also a lot of Mayan ruins there. So we still yeah. have that indigenous culture in Belize. That's pretty fantastic. Um, but Belize just hot, tropical but an awesome, awesome place to visit. Yeah. It's so interesting. Yeah. So when I, the reason I brought this up, cause I, when we are speaking with our guests, I usually like to have Google maps up and start to follow things geographically and Google maps uh, has started to put like dashed heavy borders for uh -huh. areas that are territorial disputes or countries that are recognized by some other countries or nations, but not recognized in other parts. So when you look at a, the Google Maps political view for Guatemala and Belize, the entire border between Belize is a heavy dash line as opposed to a solid line. And yeah. then I started looking into it because that really sparked my curiosity. Belize has been a disputed territory for almost 200 years now. 
And mm-hmm. I guess there's the northern half of Belize is not disputed in terms of ownership right. to Belize, but the southern half is like governmentally administered by Guatemala. It's so mm-hmm. very interesting. This is the first time I ever heard of it because in geography in high school, you're like, Belize is its own country. Guatemala is its own country. Right. To be honest, it's sort of like a non-issue in our everyday lives yeah. here. For me, it's a funny story that it's that Guatemalans, it's like, let's vote on this. Um, But ultimately, that part where there's a dashed line, it's very undeveloped. There's not a lot of like big communities. There's not a lot of roads and stuff like that. So it's really in an area that a tourist would never really find themselves. Yeah. The topic of of these sort of dotted line borders, I don't know what you would call them. I don't know what the actual term is, but they're, they're, they're obviously located. They're scattered around the planet. And each one has a super unique history, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, and, and yeah, there's, there's a lot of them. The, the, what I would recommend for anybody listening is to look up the history of the border between Pakistan and India and how that war came to be, because that was essentially oh, yeah. a hard line written by a Manhattan based Nat Geo uh, worker who a cartographer who created the map and accidentally created the border along the wrong piece of land and then caused a war in Pakistan and India because of it. <laughs> so Super interesting how these lines are drawn and and made up by people who often uh, have no right to really be doing that, um, and then with and then, and then ultimately contributes to global you know there's global implications because of that. So that's a different topic for a different day. Um, yeah. Valerie, though, I, so I wanted to, I want to take a step back and get back into the culture of Costa Rica. I'm sorry, uh, Guatemala. So when we were in Peru with Matt Waugh, who actually connected us, right? Um, and I don't know if we mentioned that yet, uh, but Matt. You think we have? No, I don't think we have. Yeah, right. So Matt Waugh, uh, for those listening, is a guy who's been on the podcast multiple times, our favorite Scottish guy who lives in Peru, and <laughs> we went on tours with him. Um, when we were with him, one of the awesome things that we learned was about the Quechua people there, and w- which were essentially a uh, an extension of the ancient Mayan culture. So Incan. do the Incan. Well, so they, I guess Inca they were separate than Incan. They were the Quechua. Oh, yes. It was Inca. No, but I thought the Quechua were, was a... Like a subset of or like a modern catch, uh, Inca culture. Anyway, um, can you get into the that ancient Mayan culture a bit more? Where are Absolutely. these people located? Yeah, and and what sort of architectural uh, ruins can you see? Yeah, so it's really fascinating. Um, I would say that the most visited um, historical Mayan site is Tikal. Uh, the only reason people wouldn't get to Tikal is because it's a short but expensive plane ride from Guatemala City okay. and or a 12 hour bus ride. Okay, okay, but Tikal dates back about 2000 years and it is a magnificent site that's been excavated and preserved. Um, this beautiful park like setting that's fairly remote. Um, And so from there, archaeologists aren't entirely sure, you know, because a lot of this evidence is sort of organic and disappears over time. So they're not quite sure there's theories about famine or drought or uh, war or um, disease. But at some point, the Mayan ethnic group that lived there sort of separated into 26 different ethnic groups that have all sort of formed their own languages and little... um, geographic areas and cultures. Now, four of those groups no longer exist today, but we still have 22 different Mayan ethnic groups. They all speak a unique language. Okay. And it sounds nothing like Spanish. I mean, you can definitely identify this just by sound because it has a much different sound than Spanish, no real overlaps in words between Spanish and the Mayan languages. Um, And it's, it's fairly rare. I'll say that, um, a person who is ethnically Mayan will speak more than one ethnic Mayan language. And now we're talking, the geography here separates these groups. So it might be from one little town to another that there's a a mountain in between. So they might not be able to speak that same ethnic language. Um, But we also have this really fascinating site. You guys can watch a National Geographic documentary on it. It's called El Mirador. And it's up, these two sites are up near the Northeast border with Mexico, up near Belize and Mexico. Um, El Mirador actually is currently in the process of being excavated. They believe it dates back over 3,000 years. And I had a friend who was an archaeologist who was tasked with working up there. You know, it's very remote work. It's difficult and it can only be seasonal. So they have enough water for the crew and stuff. Um, And they have found these stone carvings that are the shape of different heads 
Now, me, as a master's in anthropology, we learn of the different ethnic groups that contribute to different bone structure and different looking facial characteristics. Again, this is very general um, breakdown. And so in anthropological terms, we call people with African ancestry Negroid, people with Asian ancestry Mongoloid, people with uh, European ancestry Caucasoid, and then we have that indigenous American um, sort of a group that's separate. And so those archaeologists up at El Mirador have found these stone carvings that very clearly represent those four different groups of people. But really? we don't yet have an answer as to how that cultural exchange took place. We've all heard about the land bridge that connected like Russia yeah. to Alaska, right? And this definitely is from so much earlier than 3,000 years ago. But we still don't really know how that intercultural exchange took place, but we know that it did take place. And of course, we have a lot of research about trade routes that came from the Yucatan Peninsula, where you may have heard of um, Chichen Itza and all of these different Mayan sites that come down. But it's something that's super fascinating, and there are many theories. Um, but the National Geographic documentary does a great job at showing how massive this Mayan civil center was it was just completely huh. massive um and it's really spectacular i wonder now, oh, if go ahead I, i'm sorry um so i'm looking at the map and i i know a little bit about the polynesian ancestry and so how it came down and essentially populated uh like the philippines and that those island nations there papua new guinea and then sort of went out into the pacific ocean and eventually made its way to hawaii right that's how that that piece of land so in, in a land bridge, right, the, the Bering Strait, yeah. could people have made it to Mexico across the ocean in boats just as they did from essentially the, the Australia area, the Southeast Asia to Hawaii? I'm looking at the distance. Hawaii is actually farther from the Philippines than Hawaii is to Mexico. So I don't know, maybe. I'm sure it was possible. Yeah. And how will we ever know the answer? Um, you know, yeah. we have amazing scientists working on it, but I think everything they could say, oh, we're pretty sure this is how it happened. But, you know, um, but it's just something so fabulous to have this like ancient culture. And my goodness, the Mayan culture was so advanced in terms of their mathematic system, their astronomy, all of that stuff. I mean, there's a so those sites, Tikal and El Mirador, are pre-classic sites. You know, they date back thousands of years. But we have a post-classic site that is called Ishimche. That's a short day trip from Antigua, a half day trip. Um, and this site dates to the mid-1400s is when it was established. And, um, you know, the local community guides there that are fantastic, they say, okay, this is the temple of the sun. This is the temple of the moon. And if you pull out your iPhone and you open up that compass, you see that the temples are aligned in exactly east and west, you know? Um, so these civilizations were so advanced and so amazing. And it's really a shame what happened with, you know, colonialism and so on and so forth. Um, and while we do appreciate a lot of the things that are of the Spanish influence, we my key that I like to instill in my guests is that's not why we're here. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty amazing. And so there are tours and there are ways for ancient Mayan culture to be the primary reason for you visiting the country. Correct. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And so for from the tourist perspective, you have this aspect of Guatemala. What are some of the additional reasons people should go to Guatemala uh, to either tack on with the historical? And and to me personally, like this is the number one reason I personally would go to Guatemala. This is what fascinates me more uh -huh. so than the more touristy Spanish colonization, the, the architecture, yeah. even when we were in Peru. Uh, it was the, the highlight of the trip. Obviously, the, the, we wanted to see Machu Picchu, but yeah. along the way through the Sacred Valley, visiting the ruins, understanding some of the cultural uh, aspects of ancient Maya that still were around today was more important and, and actually much more fun to learn about than the Spanish um, the Spanish aspect. And that was just us. That's just me. Uh, everybody is different. Um, 
And so if I were visiting Guatemala, Valerie, that would be my primary thing. But I also may want to visit a beach, may want to learn a little bit about the Spanish culture. And so what are some of the other, what's the variety? You know, what else could I see while I'm in Guatemala? All right. So of course, visiting ruins is super popular and the sites are so different based upon the time in which they were developed. Um, It's just really fascinating to see how massive some of these temples are, you know, and we know that without advanced machinery that we have today, what uh, a labor this was to create that. We also have um, really amazing artisan products. One of the products that Guatemala is most famous for is their weaving. So traditionally, it's only the women who do the weaving and they use a backstrap loom. You can go and see a demonstration and look at all the natural dyes that are used to dye their um, thread that they make from cotton. Um, we have a lot of agricultural products that are just renowned, such as coffee, one of our top exports. We have amazing, delicious coffee here in Guatemala. Um, chocolate also, for example. Um, and many people who come that really want to learn about the Mayan culture, they will also participate in a Mayan spiritual ceremony. Now I have to say that this is, uh, something that people still do when they practice their spirituality. So when we have tourists go, it's done in a respectful way to learn about the process of the spiritual ceremony. Um, And people of indigenous background enjoy sharing this experience with people. You know, we have to be very cognizant of things like cultural appropriation and the way that we respect other people's traditions and practices. Um, And it's something that's very much enjoyable for um, people with indigenous heritage to share. But that being said, one of the other biggest draws to Guatemala are our volcanoes. We have 37 volcanoes in Guatemala. And three of them are active. And one of the number one outdoor activities to do is to climb one of the nearby volcanoes. It's called Acatenango. It's 3,976 meters at its peak. And you go up there on an overnight excursion. They're between $60 and $70. And that includes, you know, your four meals, your tent, camping equipment. But you're on top of this mountain, freezing, I should say. It's, It's so cold but you're at eye level with Fuego Volcano that is constantly erupting. And for you to get up there and make this really strenuous hike of about five, six hours, and to sit there with your new friends and the group who all just suffered with you and watch Fuego exploding all night is something so unique and so memorable. I've never had somebody say, oh, Wait, that was what? tough. I wish I didn't do that. So can no, you, you can just... camp at Acatenango? Yes. Yeah. You do an overnight hike, camp overnight sharing a tent or a small rustic cabin with the other people in your group. It's really, really fantastic. It's not easy, but it's how, fantastic. How do you oh, spell that's that? so cool. A-C-A-A-K-T-E-N-A-N-G-O. T-E-N-A-N-G-O. And Tenango is a suffix in um, the Mayan language. That means the place of or the land of. So you hear the Tenango suffix for many different place names here in Guatemala. Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah. And then when you look it's at such that, an amazing trip, you can, you can drop the little orange guy from Google earth onto the top of Acatenango. Yeah. And you can see like the mountain ranges and I'm not going to, it looks like a scene out of the Lord of the Rings, uh, where they're lighting all of the fires to warn Gondor. Oh Yeah. <laughs> It is so amazing. So so we cool. have three active volcanoes. Fuego is like explosive. I can see it from my house every day. Um, but, you know, that's one of the draws for adventure seekers. And even people who like aren't keen to hike all the time, they will struggle through this to get up there because it is worth it. Yeah, you just really, oh, that's, that's, so that's, awesome. a, that's very convincing for me. That's uh, uh, archaeology, archaeological sites and volcanoes in one trip. Um, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. sign me up. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty, yeah. pretty cool. So, so most people who come to Guatemala, they start in Antigua, which is a 500-year-old colonial city. Okay. And then they'll head to Lake Atitlan, which is the deepest lake in Central America. And it, too, is surrounded by volcanoes, although they're not currently active. Um, and each of the 13 villages that surround Lake Atitlan um, have their own unique sort of little presence or something special about them. Uh, if people have the time, they might head up to Tikal, but there are two other places in Guatemala that I am absolutely in love with. 
One of them is called Simuk Champagne. It's a national park that is characterized by this limestone bridge and the river runs under the limestone and filters up. So you see these beautiful crystal clear pools. What? Um, it is just a magnificent experience. There might be howler or spider monkeys in the trees. I lived in this small town for a month and I was freaking out. I'm like, oh my God, no, I'm, I'm from near New York City. What am I going to do in this one street town? <sighs> I did not want to leave. What it was, was just that? like, so what back was... to basics, you know, living yeah. outside. What was that national park called with the limestone? <laughs> Samuk Champagne, S-E-M-U-C and C-H-A-M-P-E-Y. Oh yeah, that is tiny. Yeah, but look at the pictures of the actual river. It's fantastic. It's my favorite place in Guatemala. But unfortunately, with our infrastructure, it takes about eight hours van ride to get there from Antigua. Wow. How would you, what would you say is, and and this is your your opinion, the perfect amount of time to spend in Guatemala. Now, the thing that, the thing is, we've talked to, to travelers all over the world. And one of the issues that Americans face is their two-week limited vacation time that a significant mm-hmm. majority of Americans have. So an Australian can easily come there and spend a month there and, you know, their life goes back to the way it was. And somehow right. they don't, you know, their work doesn't, you know, <laughs> they figure it out. Americans don't have that luxury. It's often only two weeks. So I guess what would be your recommended time? And then why and how can an American make this work in two weeks? Yeah. So two weeks could be the perfect amount of time to do all of Guatemala and be thorough a few days in each of like the five main tourist sites. Cause they're okay. about five. Um, I usually tell people skip the beach, not because I don't love the beach, but because you can find a real great beach in so many places. Um, but the other tourist spots in Guatemala are super unique to Guatemala. Um, However, I have people come for as little as, you know, four to five days because flights really aren't far. You can fly into Miami. It's about an hour and 45 minute flight from Miami. So yeah. And from New York, it's four, four and a half hours, you know, JetBlue is doing an overnight flight now. Um, And, you know, you can come and you can see Antigua and get some of that Mayan culture and go to the lake for one day or one night, a day and a half. Um, So it depends because, you know, so many travelers, they're very particular about the way that they like to travel, mm-hmm. you know, and if you're just a laid back budget backpacker and you want to take the tourist shuttles everywhere, you might need a little more time to schedule everything in, you know, with those logistics. That's why I'm here. I can yeah. really just tell you what can you do in the amount of time that you have off. And well, why don't you do that? Why don't you do that? So tell us maybe some yeah. of your popular tours and how you curate them. Uh, yeah. And what people can expect. Yeah. So generally um, when I have someone call me, it's usually, um, you know, a couple or a family or maybe um, an organization they're bringing a group down. I say, first thing I need are your flight times, because that's super important um, to see if we have the full day when you arrive, or if we're going to keep you in the city that night when you arrive um, a few days in Antigua, you can fill it top to bottom, but some people just kind of want to have their own time. So I say, here are the options of what you can do when you're in Antigua, and then we'll send you to Lake. And then from the Lake, if you have time, we can get you up to Tikal. If you don't have time, we can get you to the ruins of Ishimche, which are on the way back from the Lake to Antigua. Um, If they have a full two weeks and I've had friends come from Europe to visit, I'll say, okay, we do Antigua, we do the Lake, Samuk Champagne, Tikal, and if there's extra time to Rio Dulce. Rio Dulce is a very unique part of Guatemala because it connects to the Caribbean Sea. And there's like this canyon, this beautiful lush green walled canyon that you come in through the river, then you get into the Golfete. We have a lot of old yachts that come in because it's one of the safest harbors for hurricane season. Um, and it is just so full of natural beauty, but the most important part is that there's one town that's sort of landlocked. It's not, sorry, not landlocked. It's not um, connected by roads. You can only get there by boat, but it has this super unique Garifuna culture, what which comes from the Afro-Caribbean um, slave trade. And so we have um, a very unique language, cuisine, that's phenomenal and special a different type of spirituality, but it's so hard for people to get out there because it, you really need a three or four day stretch to be able to go visit this town called Livingston, Guatemala. That sounds awesome. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Can you get into, well, I'm, now I'm curious about the cuisine on this island, but just Guatemalan cuisine cuisine in general, what, what do you guys serve? It's so funny. So I've asked Guatemalans from different um, socioeconomic backgrounds, like what's, what's the traditional food here? And some people are like fried chicken. Some people are like chucos, which is like a hot dog with everything piled on top. But really when we send people to do a cooking class or to really learn Guatemalan cuisine, it's that cuisine with the Mayan influence. So I'd say the most popular or well-known dish here is called pepian. Pepian is almost like a stew. It has a base of cooked tomatoes, onion, garlic with other herbs and spices in it. And then you throw in either chicken or beef and a bunch of cut up vegetables. So we'll use like half a squash that we throw in there, half a a corn cob that we throw in there, carrots, potatoes, stuff like that. But it's called pepian because it has one special ingredient, um, which are pepito seeds. So these are, they're basically just like little pumpkin or squash seeds that they roast and they crush up. And they also add cacao, not sweetened Mm. chocolate, but the cacao. And they put it in there. So the sauce is almost like a a brown sauce, super flavorful. In general, people have a misconception that Guatemalan food will be like Mexican food. And it is not at all. Don't use a lot of cheese and do not use a lot of spicy stuff. You can find hot sauce. that will be served on the side on the table, but it's not generally cooked in. They use a lot of chilies for flavoring, but not spicy chili. It looks really good. It looks, I mean, it looks like a traditional Filipino dish um, called adobo, but it yeah. adobo is very salty because it's got like uh-huh. a soy sauce base. And I think this is, if I'm not wrong, this is not, not salty. salty. In fact, a lot of Guatemalan food tends to be, I'll say bland. Um, but one staple that you'll have at every single meal, corn tortillas. Nice. Like fresh corn tortillas. Fresh, delicious, warm, handmade corn tortillas. Can't beat them. But I I I ate so many tortillas my first six months here that I'm like, I'm okay never seeing a tortilla again. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Yeah. They are so delicious. I, yeah. I, I love them. Yeah. I'm obsessed. with corn Yeah. Tortillas. So unfortunately we have um, a 50% child malnutrition rate here in Guatemala. Kids might not feel hungry. They're eating a lot of tortillas, but as we all know, corn is not nutritionally dense. Um, and the only ingredients in the corn tortillas are the corn flour, a little bit of calcium, or they take like a limestone base and water. So while Guatemalans from lower socioeconomic classes that uh, eat a lot of tortillas have very strong bones. Unfortunately, they have a high rate of malnutrition. Oh, do you do do anything with your tours or with local people, uh, villages by any chance? Or have you thought about it? Yeah. What what do you do? Yeah. So um, I often do um, village tours where we have like artisan products that are made. Um, There's one village near Antigua and they do leatherworking really interesting history dating back to the 1950s. There was a guy from this town called Pastores and, you know, they all work in the fields there. And he said, you know, we don't have great footwear. And so one guy went to, I don't even know how this happened really, but he got trained by Italian bootmakers in Italy and came back and shared his skill and his craft. Now you drive through this town, there's a massive statue of like a cowboy boot And you can go there and have any leather goods made for you by these amazing artisans. Um, And then we also have these ladies who have weaving cooperatives. So they sit there and six hours a day, they're working on the backstrap loom and they're making things like their traditional blouses, which are called whipeels, which means my cover in the local dialect. And they weave different things, of course, that are you know, interesting for tourists. Usually it's a table runner or a scarf or something. Um, And so you can see their process. We'll go see the ladies who are making the tortillas by hand, grinding the corn on their stone molete, and you are able to try to make them. And let me tell you, I make the ugliest tortillas you've ever seen. It is a skill that you really need practice for. (laughs) My tortillas are not circular. I don't know what happens in that process. I cannot do it. I do not have those skills. But I bet they taste great. Yeah, they, same taste for sure. Yeah. Bob, believe it or not, uh, there are flights available for a week that are under $200 round trip. Whoa, from where? There out are so Philly. many amazing sales right now. Yeah. yeah. Under 200 out of Philly. Yeah. All right. 199. 
Valerie, I'll see you in a few hours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So right now we're in our peak busy season from November through the end of April. Peak busy season. Really? Um, because okay. we have a very highly religious culture here. And so the time during Semana Santa, which is the week leading up to Easter, and actually all of Lent in general, tends to be super popular here. Okay. Antigua has these amazing religious processions that each of the churches, they have their own sort of like time slot and they will have, it's not a parade, it's sort of um, more somber experience, you know, okay. because we're talking about the period of Lent and Jesus and um, but they make these fantastic carpets in the street. Google it right now. Carpets, right. Semana Santa and Antigua. Now these carpets are made out of really finely um, ground sawdust and they're dyed using little bags of dye. They throw in there, shake it up or um, thicker rough cut wood, flower petals, palm fronds, pine needles, all these things. So they make a massive decorated carpet using stencils and they put it in the street. Now, these processions have these wooden floats that men and women carry on their shoulders with scenes from the Bible. They walk through these carpets, and it's sort of like a way to honor what's happening. Whoa. The carpets can take 18 hours to make. It takes a team of people. And they're not cheap also. It's a lot of work, and the procession goes through it. And then a sanitation truck and men with brooms come and sweep it up and put it up. You're like... What? That was a work of art. That's it's gone. And are they um, what are they made of? They're made of finely ground sawdust and they use stencils and spoons to spoon the sawdust into the shapes. Um, oftentimes they're geometric shapes. Wow. Sometimes they have, you know, birds or flowers or other animals. There was an amazing, amazing. 100 meter long carpet done the last time we had processions, which was 2019, I guess, um, on the main street in Antigua on Arch Street. And it was this beautiful depiction of a Mayan woman with her long, long, black, shiny braided hair in the back. Just a phenomenal, phenomenal thing to see. And so we get so many tourists here. I'd say during during Lent season, we have like a million unique visitors from Central America, from all over the world. Wow. Yeah, there's a there's a time lapse on YouTube of them like laying the whole thing out using sand uh -huh. as the base and then putting the sawdust on it. It's seven minutes, but it is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Seven minutes, but it probably took them like 10 hours. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. So we have these cobblestone streets. Now, let me tell you, when you live here, you're so over it. Pretty much everyone <laughs> I know has fallen, twisted an ankle, broken a leg, but we're a UNESCO world heritage site here in Antigua. So we will always have to maintain this colonial sort of ambiance. Um, okay. So that's the reason for the sand is to sort of level, level out the street there. And then they take a frame, they frame it, they put down the regular base of sawdust and they put down the colored sawdust. It's, it's an amazing experience. It's so beautiful. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. So awesome. Yeah. There's some, yeah. there's some really cool looking, like really intricate carpets out there. Uh-huh. If you just yeah. Google it. Thank you for suggesting that. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. I can, I can tell that you genuinely love Guatemala. It seems like you're very passionate about it. And I know that you have this, pro this program land of the eternal spring that's essentially it's helping people follow in similar footsteps to your own right can you explain what that is yeah so land of the eternal spring is actually like a nickname for guatemala people think it's for all of guatemala but ultimately what it means we have spring-like weather in antigua guatemala city at lake altitlan year-round so okay. coming from new york i hate winters if I never see snow again, I'll be fine with that. But also, you know, those, those summers that are so hot and so humid and so disgusting. I don't really miss the change of the seasons. Sure. I have a little bit of nostalgia for, you know, fall or spring. And, um, but here we have spring like temperatures year round. So any given day, it's between 70 and 85, um, at night between maybe it gets down lowest 50 for maybe a week in December, or January. Um, so we have really great weather all the time. In May through the first week in November, we have rainy season, which means that we might have, you know, strong afternoon showers for an hour or two. 
Um, so yeah, it is land of the eternal spring in terms of the weather, but I want to say it's land of the eternal spring in terms of the kind of lifestyle you can have if you live here. You know, I had a great job. I had, um, I was on a pension going for that government pension. I could have been fine, but I wasn't happy. And honestly, I just worked with a lot of people who had never traveled and they're like, Oh, how do you like go to the Philippines for two weeks by yourself. You just went to Thailand for three weeks. Like, what are you doing? How do you do it? And I'm like, more people need to travel. You yes. know, what's the percentage of people in the United States with, with passports? Uh, yeah, it's, it's like 25% actually has a passport or something like yeah, that. It's, it's and just so, insane. And I have just, I've had really life-changing experiences. I've been to 37 countries. I'm in a panic because I turn 39 soon and I have to keep my country count with my age count. Um, <laughs> but ultimately, um, I just really wanted people to understand it's easy. I can help guide you through it. And if you were looking to even relocate and change your life, I you know do relocation services too. Um, wow. And so people were so ingrained from childhood to be on this path. High school, college, find a great job, find a partner, buy a house, have a baby. And I'm like, if you break off of that path, people question you. Are you sure? What are you going to do for health insurance? But you have a pension. You have a great job. And I saw guys at my job. I was a corrections officer for three years. I saw guys that were working 16 hours a day, seven days a week to pad their pension. And they all just looked like they were going to drop dead in a second. And I'm like, yeah. oh my God, I understand you're trying to make this great retirement for yourself. That's your goal. You have this exact date in your mind in 20 years when you're going to be able to walk out of here for the last time with that pension. But that's 20 years of your life that you're not going to get back. Youthful you're years. all your time away from your family. So why don't, yeah, I'm like, Go live that life now. Yeah. Go live it now. Absolutely. And for how and many years, right? So, so retirement is sixty-five in the in the United States. The mm -hmm. life expectancy is seventy-eight. Uh huh. Yeah. I <laughs> think this is the time. first time it's actually. Dropped. But also for corrections mm -hmm. officers, I will tell you the life expectancy is a lot lower. And I spent I believe years it. there. <laughs> I yeah. It. yeah. I believe it. Yeah. So yeah. I did. I did look up. You guys inspired me. I looked up um, some statistics on passports in the United States. <clears throat> And oh, yeah. it is, it's about one third average and the Westerners, people that live on the West coast are about 50% have a active or valid passport. And I will say mine is at currently not, it just expired in January. So I have to update mine. I went through the process, but I got to get that photo. Yeah. So I need to That's work on that. That's the thing. So, and I've had a lot of people who are not very experienced travelers come and visit me here and they were blown away. You know, I think their initial thing was fear, maybe curiosity, but they knew that they had me here, you know, friends and family and stuff. And they were like, oh my God, Guatemala is so beautiful and there's so much to see and do. And I felt so safe and the people are amazing. And, and I ate and drank my way through the towns and I climbed volcanoes and they were really fascinated by their experience. And ultimately my goal is to help people feel more comfortable traveling and to get more knowledge about the world because it's so important. Yeah. yeah. So and it usually only takes one trip. It does. That's yeah. it. Yeah. So let's talk about Due South Travels because we know we've talked about a lot of Guatemala and some of the specific things, but what does Due South Travels offer to individuals that want to come to Guatemala? So we specialize in itinerary planning. Um, that's one thing I love. And so these are for people who want everything planned out and I give them the itinerary. Okay. On Thursday at 10 AM, you meet at this point or your guide will come get you at the hotel and you'll do a Lake Villages tour or something like that. So basically you tell me what you're looking for, how many people are traveling. If you have an idea of budget, if you're okay with shared tourist transport or private taxis or whatever to get from place to place, I plan your whole trip. You pay me, we're done. You go and I'm here on WhatsApp. 24 seven for you. Um, but we also do, you know, I could just book you in for transportation or for one tour or whatever you want. So um, I have a network throughout all of Guatemala that I work with. So whether you're traveling here in Antigua where I'm based, or if you're traveling up in Tikal, I can plan whatever you need. So one-stop shop. And um, I realized some days it's like my phone does not stop. I have not had a day off since November of 2020, but I really love what I do. And, um, you know, I, I want other people to love Guatemala. So 
anything yeah. you need when you're here, basically I can plan it for you. Um, I don't run all of the tours myself. You know, I don't have a fleet of vans or ATVs or, you know, a campsite at the volcano, but I book you on and I provide all of your services start to finish. Okay. And awesome. when's the next Akatengo, Akatenengo hike? Oh, those go every day. Okay. I uh, will be there yeah. tomorrow. All yeah. right. All right. <laughs> I mean, I mean I, we could technically go for a weekend, just, you know, quick. It's only a few hours away. You it's can, yeah. I tend to tell people though, just be a little wary about the altitude when you come in. Maybe you mm. need a few days for to acclimate because I know when I was in Peru, I was extremely sick with altitude sickness. I'm very yes. susceptible to it. Same. So that's the only thing with Akatsanango because you yeah. might feel some symptoms there. Yeah, I, my body just cannot make that transition easily for whatever <laughs> yeah. reason. Uh, yeah. So, uh, and where can people book your tours? What are your social media, your, your website? Where do you want people to be? So connected? yeah, for beautiful photos, of course, Instagram. And I've started to do some like reels and stuff. Um, so that's at do South and Facebook. We have do South travels, Facebook, um, which has also some information such as COVID entry requirements. Uh, my website, we're redoing the website now, but it's dosouthtravels.com. So you can see what some of our offerings are. And then you can message me to book anything, WhatsApp or um, email are the best ways. Yeah. All right. Awesome. 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 Yeah. I, I think you may have sold Elliot and I. It's it's now on our list. I love oh, yeah. it. I, the, the, the appeal to me is the volcano. It is the archaeological sites. And it is the fact that it's, it's sort of this pocket of under-tourism compared to the bordering countries, right? Compared to Costa Rica and compared yeah. to Belize. You have the opportunity to visit, you know, I don't want to say a similar culture, but sort of, right? Like it's the, you, you get similar vibes. So it could it could give you the same feeling, you know, you're going, you're still going to Central America, but then you're not just stuck on some English speaking resort the entire time. You still have the right. opportunity to do a deep dive and get a little bit more meaning uh, in my opinion, out of your experience. Yeah, absolutely. Just walking down the street in Antigua, it's just such a photogenic and colorful place too. And you see all of the women wearing their traditional um, clothing. That's just so colorful and beautiful. Yeah. And you just really feel like you've been transported so far. Yeah. And I think I will be able to sell my wife on potentially retiring there because we have literally been looking for a place that is eternally spring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, there that's, are, there's a kidding. huge expat community here yeah. too. All right. We've, we've recently did a podcast on how to retire in Costa Rica. So it's our, the wheels are turning in both Elliot and mine's head about going somewhere uh, where our money goes much further, where mm -hmm. we, where we can enjoy. Uh, just I can be outside lifestyle. a lot more of the year. Comfortably. Yeah. Absolutely. So for a reasonable I, price, yeah. you know, coming from the New York area, I realize that's a very expensive part of the United States, but I have this beautiful historical two bedroom, two bathroom with an in internal like patio that's open air and um, it's $800 a month, which is very expensive by, you know, local standards, but compared to New York city standards. Pretty yeah. That's yeah. A third yeah. of the price. $800 <laughs> a month. You can't get a cardboard box. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, Valerie, thank you for coming on the show. Before we let you Thanks go. Thanks for having me, guys. I hope to welcome you and or some of your listeners someday soon. I, oh, yeah. I hope that as well. But before we let you go, we have a rapid fire round. We didn't tell you about it on purpose. Oh, okay. And so are you ready to, ready to dive into it? Let's do it. All right. all right. Question number one. What is the first word that comes to your mind when you hear the word travel? Adventure. All right. Yeah. What travel book had the biggest influence on your life? Ooh, what was it called? The four hour work week? Oh yeah. Tim Ferriss. Tim Ferriss. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I, uh, a recommendation for you. The Lost City of the Monkey God. It's based in Honduras. I loved it. It was, they're searching for these ancient ruins there. Uh, Mayan ruins. Super cool book. Awesome. I love yeah. It. The four hour work week. And now I have like a 140 hour work week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's sort of a hypothetical, right? Like you're not really working four hours. Yeah. Yeah. I'm it, currently it, reading that. Are you? Oh, you yeah. are. Yep. So the story about the fisherman that comes up, um, that's really what inspired me. Okay. You'll, you'll know what I'm talking about when you read it. A little is, is it the, is it the metaphor of the guy that's on the, with his family fishing every day and the guy, the business guy comes? Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. Okay. I, I have that's heard it. that one before, but I didn't realize mm -hmm. that it was also in the book. So I'm excited to read that part. I read that and I was really just so unhappy at work and I'm like, all right, I got to do it. I got to go now. Yep. 
Describe your perfect travel experience. Ooh, even if you handed me $10 million, I would still be like a budget backpacker. I've made some of the best friends in my life. I still stay in dorms and pushing 40. But I mean, for me, it's meeting the other travelers, hearing their story, and then doing a really organic experience, something off the beaten path. Nice. I love that. I do too. Tell us one thing travelers should not do. Travelers definitely need to respect the local culture in terms of like here in Guatemala, do not take photos of any of the local people without their explicit permission. Okay. Solid advice. And lastly, what is one piece of advice you would give to yourself 10 years ago? Do it now. Love it. I was, I was expecting that as I was saying it to you, I was sort of expecting that to be your answer. Yeah. Yeah. I don't regret my history. You know, I learned course, so much. Right. Um, I had, you know, a lot of experience and stuff, but I think I was always working to travel and now I live this life. So. Sounds awesome. Well, thank Sounds you awesome. so much for joining us. It has been a wonderful Thanks, time. Guys. Have a great day. Yeah, great. Thank Bye. you. This seems like like Land of the Eternal Spring is perfect for outdoor adventures and people yeah. who just like to exercise and be outside a lot. And it it's perfect day weather. When she was saying it's like, you know, mid 70s, 80s during the day, almost all year round. And then it's perfect sleeping temperatures for me. Like I would have the windows open all the time, like no AC needed, no heat needed. Yeah. Amazing. This This sounds like the perfect destination for you and I to go to together. It Absolutely. has essentially everything that we sort of look for in a trip, being able to hike to the top of a volcano. Uh, yeah, the the archaeological sites, the ruins, there's just something about ruins that I love. I <laughs> and so, yeah, this sort of tech checks all of the boxes for our trips together. So I think maybe, and it's easy, right? We can get to it easily. We can be home yeah. in just a few hours, four hours. Uh, well, four-hour flights? Mo- most of the flights that I saw were one stop in Florida. Okay. Okay. And she said it was about two hours from Florida, right? So we're talking two hours from Philly or New York down to Florida and then another two hours there. I mean, that's that's amazing. And so these are the types of trips that I think you and I should go on because they're Absolutely. close, because they're easy. Yeah. And so maybe we go to Guatemala. I don't know. We'll, we'll Let's find do it. Out. So, all right. Uh, thank you for listening to the podcast uh, if you are listening to this and you are like, you know what? I really like it. I love Bob and I really want to help out the show. <laughs> you can do so by sharing this uh, on Instagram, social, any social media, rating us, uh, whatever it is you do. Like it really does help. It really does help a lot because that's essentially how these online algorithms work. The more they're shared, the more the algorithm pushes it out to new people. So thank you for that. Uh, and uh, tune in next week. <laughs>